You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Rodgers in trouble. Does he have a vintage moment in him? In the end zone, it is caught for the win. Pressure, pass is picked off. And who is it? Big B.J. Raji for the touchdown. Welcome back to another episode of the Pax What She Said podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Maggie Loney, joined as always by Perry Goldstein. And today we have a very special guest, M.K. Burgess of WFRV Local 5 and Green Bay Nation host, has agreed to come on the show and talk to us. So, M.K., thanks so much. Yeah, thank you guys so much. I love your podcast. I also love how funny both of you are on Twitter. <laughs> during the games they make me giggle so yeah excited guys yeah thank we're... you wow i've never been called <laughs> funny before i love that Bro, you are hilarious uh i think i used it i use you guys on like my that's let's get social segment for green bay nation i think i used you guys at least once a week last year <laughs> that's amazing that's awesome. wow love that <laughs> uh, so so you're relatively new to mm-hmm. green bay i know last year um, but what was kind of your experience like working in the industry before you went to Green Bay? Because I know I saw on your resume that you covered the Iditarod, and I've been dying to find out more about that. So um, I graduated from Mizzou uh, in 2015, and then my first job right out of college was in Cape Girardeau, Missouri, um, which is about two hours south of St. Louis. So I was doing like your basic high school, SEMO, Southeast Missouri State, uh, Southern Illinois. And then when the Cardinals and the Blues did something big, which was great for me because I'm a giant Cardinals and, and Blues fan, um, I would go cover that. Um, I didn't – that station and I just – like it, I, I wasn't going to stay there forever. So when my contract was up, um, I ended up moving back home to Florida uh, with my parents for three months. Um, and, uh, while I was looking for jobs, I applied to be a sports anchor in Anchorage, Alaska, like as a joke, just cause it was open. And I was just like, yeah, LOL, Alaska. And then the next day, my news director, my then would, what would be my news director called me and she goes, Hey, we'll fly you out here. We want to interview you. I really like your stuff. Um, and I was 25. I mean, single, no kids, no dog, like nothing. I was just like, yeah, all right, Alaska. Um, and it ended up being the best decision I've ever made because that place is so beautiful. It is so out of this world. Covering the Iditarod challenges you in ways as a reporter that you will never be – being challenged in the NFL is different, right? Um, dog mushers literally want to live in the woods with their dogs and not talk to people. So getting Same them- sometimes. I mean, to be honest, yes. Um, So, and it's also, if you think about it, like this is a marathon. It's the only like timed race in the world where journalists are like, hey, we know that you're like trying to have the fastest time, but can you stop for five seconds and talk to me about how this race is going? And they're like looking at you like, it's 20 below and I have to feed 15 dogs. What, what, how do you think it's, how do you think it's going? Um, So it was just interesting in trying to get them to talk, trying to get them to describe to you uh, how the race was going, trying not to get frostbite. And then for me, trying not to to pet the athletes. Um, That, that was my, my biggest problem is because the dogs are friendly. Like they love to run. They love to be around people. They just, they want to be everyone's friends, but like don't. don't You're not allowed to pet them. No. (gasps) <gasps> that would be such a challenge. That would be so hard. Very unfortunate. Um, and, uh, but I, I loved it. I think it, it, it helped train me into the journalist that I am today. Um, and because of her, to me, had to, uh, how do I put this? 
I've already had to talk to someone who blatantly doesn't want to talk to me. So when NFL players like don't want to answer my question, I'm kind of just like, yeah, I've already had the Doug Musher tell me no. Like <laughs> there's really not much more that you can say to me that's going to irritate me if you don't answer my question. Wow. So you went from covering that to the NFL. How did, how did that happen? Uh, I was in my second year. Um, I had renewed my contract in Anchorage and, um, my friend, Charlie Sakaitis, who had started in Anchorage, he's from Anchorage. He went and took the sports director job at 26 here in green Bay. He came back to Alaska where he's from to take our morning show job. And he told me that this job at WFRV was open and I applied, but I was again in the middle of a contract but they, they were like, yeah, we need you to, we want to give you, I interviewed, they ended up offering me the job. Um, and for me, it was an opportunity that like, I couldn't pass up because one, it's getting your foot in the door with the NFL. And two, it's with the most iconic franchise in the NFL. Um, and Rogers is really, really good. So, uh, I ended up just, I took it, um, left my boyfriend behind in Anchorage. <laughs> um, this, this is great. Um, and, uh, I, you know, it's, it's been a whirlwind moving in a pandemic sucks. I don't advise it to literally anybody. Um, because I've moved quite a bit in my, not only in my career, but in my life, like my dad and my entire family and I, uh, my sisters and my mom, we all would move when he got new jobs. So I moved three times from the time that I was 12 until I graduated high school. Um, so moving isn't anything that's different, but moving when like the world is open and you can go out and meet people and moving to when you like literally can go to work and then you have to sit at home and you're 28 and know no one less than ideal. Um, so that was different and interesting. I did get to travel a little bit last season. Any of the games that were drivable, we got to go to, uh, which was nice, but this year has been it's, it's a real NFL season because I'm not on Zoom. I'm in in a locker room um, <laughs> with players. You know, I feel like they can put a face to a name uh, now instead of just that girl on Zoom uh, because that was the other thing. Like, it was my first season, and they didn't – like, everyone else, they knew who everyone else was. No idea who I am. I'm just randomly – this new person is now asking questions. Yeah. So this is really good that now that they know who I am and I'm in there every day. Um, and then I really enjoy traveling. It's exhausting, but it's exhausting in the best way. Yeah. You segued perfectly for us. We were going to ask you, you know, what it was like to go into an NFL year where there weren't fans and now you were just at the Bengals game. Is that right? So now you're getting to actually go to away stadiums and hear fans. Yeah. So that last year I was at Minnesota, Chicago, uh, and Detroit, right? Yes. Yeah. Those three. Um, and then an empty Lambeau. Um, so Monday night football this year was the first time I've ever seen Lambeau full. Um, because every experience that I had last year, it was, you know, either empty or like they had 10,000 people in there, which isn't a lot. Uh, and so to hear that place be loud, was amazing, but to hear all the away stadiums be eerily empty was almost like the shining music was kind of playing in my head <laughs> when I was in there. It was just so creepy and weird. And I really don't ever want anyone to have to experience it because as a reporter, like you're there's no cheering in the press box, you're kind of sitting there, you're kind of watching with like a, a removed look, but you still get to feel that game day atmosphere. It felt like a practice. It was weird. Oh, it was weird. just, yeah, no, I, I I don't recommend it for, for anybody. It was just odd. I was, And you're one of the only reporters even this season who's able to travel. Because I know with, even though it's kind of a non-COVID season, not everyone is still able. Yeah, to some companies are not letting them travel. My company uh, is, uh, which is nice because I was going to be very upset if when all of those cases started spiking again, if. Uh, my company yeah. was suddenly like, Hey, by the way. And I was like, great. I'm here on a three-year contract in two years in a row. I've not traveled. Yeah. Um, so that's been actually really nice that we're still traveling. Some people are not, um, press boxes. It depends on what city you're in, whether or not they make you wear a mask in there. Um, most of the ones I've been in don't, but Chicago I'm, I'm banking. I will have to wear a mask in there. 
Is this your first time at Soldier Field? No, I was there last year, but this will be my first time in Soldier Field with fans. So I feel yeah. like it will be the first real, real time being there, um, which I'm excited about. Um, it'll be interesting. We'll get into that game later, but much like the Cincinnati game, like I just feel like this is going to be a, like a, it's going to be a dirty slugfest. So it'll probably end be up being emotionally exhausted and I don't even care for you. The Packers had their soldier field this weekend, which as Aaron Rodgers talked about in his press conference, they've gotten a little bit better at taking care of their field, but they have been notoriously poor at grooming that football field. And unlike soldier field, you don't have to be poorly groomed because packs what she said support for packs what she said is brought to you by manscaped who is the best in below the waist grooming and hygiene ladies listen up manscaped offers precision engineered tools for you and your man's jewels for any woman out there who has come across a hairy bush you're now in luck manscaped the best in men's below the waist grooming have just launched their fourth generation trimmer the lawnmower 4.0 yep the 4.0 Make sure your man joins the 2 million men worldwide who already trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code PWSS20 at manscaped.com. Yeah, if you're looking to purchase the perfect gift for him that he'll actually want to use, then Manscaped is your go-to. Say goodbye to Harry and hello to clean. Manscaped engineered the ultimate groin and body trimmer by focusing on intelligent functionality and an incredibly comfortable grooming experience. Their fourth generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin safe technology. The Lawnmower 4.0 even allows you to customize your trim through additional guard lengths with sizes one through four. You know what they say, trimming the bushes makes the tree taller, something, something. I don't know. Perry and I are women, but you know, ladies, this is the perfect gift for you and your man. And trust me, he will thank you. And men, your balls will thank you too. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code PWSS20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code PWSS20. Experience premium grooming with Manscaped. So this is off, like off script a little bit, Perry, sorry, but I just, I'm really curious, like as a reporter, you know, you mentioned like not caring who wins or loses. And we've talked to other reporters on the show about how, you know, you wouldn't want to be covering your favorite teams because there's, you know, it's hard to stay objective. So is it like easier for you as a reporter if the team wins or loses, or is it kind of like you can put a spin on it regardless? I think obviously there are going to be easier storylines if the team is winning. Right. Uh, But there's also something to be said for after week one, there were a bunch of storylines when they played so badly. And then it kind of came out like none of them really cared that they had played so badly. Um, So for me, I think it's all in how you want to approach it. Like if you're just, I don't know. I view it as I'm going to report what's going on with the team, win, lose, or draw. Um, And if they lose, okay. Are they losing because they have, they can't, they just can't find the end zone. Are they losing because the defense is giving up 50 points a game? You know, is there locker room problems, whatever it is. Uh, Like I'm a giant Florida Gators fan. There's no way I could ever cover them because I would sit there and just be irritated that they lose. And like, like, you know, I don't even think they'll beat LSU this weekend, but whatever. Um, So uh, I don't like for me, because I have no stake in the Packers and I didn't grow up rooting for them. I selfishly would really like to go cover a Super Bowl. So it is in my. <laughs> we my, would also like you to do that. So. My, yeah. goals, uh, <laughs> my goals for myself as a journalist, if they do well. Um, but it is also interesting then if they don't, because then it's like, okay, this year they have all this talent. Why aren't they doing well? You know, besides the, I, you know, LaFleur needs to do better. Rodgers needs to not throw interceptions, give Devontae the ball literally every single snap. Uh, it's just, this team is very interesting in that if they do lose, it's almost a bigger deal because they have so much more at stake than everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting that you mentioned that because I mean, the whole off season, right. was about the last dance and them running it back and bringing everyone back and not really adding some new pieces besides Devondre Campbell and Randall Cobb. And there was all this off-season drama around Rodgers and throughout training camp. So, like, what – I mean, I guess, first off, like, what was that like 
in that vein to cover a team that was kind of under so much drama. It's very rare for the Packers as well. And then I also, I think we'd like to know like what surprised you the most about the team so far this season. Uh, covering them when Rogers just continually didn't show up was exhausting because you like, no one cared what really was going on in training camp. It was like, Rogers isn't here. Why isn't he here? I don't know. I'm literally not friends with him. So I'm just going <laughs> to speculate like the rest of you. Uh, it is, you know, you kind of had to listen to figure out what LaFleur was saying and no one was really saying anything. And then randomly Mike, you know, Mark Murphy would drop some weird cryptic sentence in his Murphy takes five let newsletter. And you'd kind of worry about that. And then the company line from Gutekunst and from LaFleur was that, you know, we want him back. We're working on it, blah, blah, blah. Um, I didn't think he was going to show up first week of camp. I thought he was going to show up like middle of camp just because I figured they wouldn't get anything figured out just because it didn't sound like anything was going to get figured out. Um, So it was just very, it was exhausting in that you kept having to say the same thing over and over again. Like he's not here. Here's why he said earlier on, on ESPN that he's not here or what his deal is. Here's what his teammates are saying, blah, blah, blah. You know, poor Jordan Love, who that's the best thing that ever happened to that kid is that he didn't show up for camp, is that he got all those reps and you could finally see him in live action. Um, The thing that probably has most surprised me is the red zone efficiency for the offense. That has been the most surprising because they returned everybody. Uh, So I, I can kind of see it because the offensive line has been so dinged up, but then also Adam Stenovich is such a god at like I think he could get me to play offensive line and I have <laughs> um like he's just so phenomenal at putting literally anybody out there and getting them to play well and so I think maybe I don't know if that has something to do with it but the fact that Devontae is leading the league in almost every category except the one that matters and which is touchdowns is astounding and maybe that's because people are finally like oh, he's really good, and it's just taken this long for everyone else to figure that out. But then also Robert Tunyon isn't getting nearly as many touches as he got last year. I mean, he'd already had a three-touchdown game through five games this season, this time last year. So um, I don't know. Uh, Roger said it on Sunday, like the offensive fish, or he said it uh, Wednesday, yesterday. The offense's efficiency is very weird. Like they were operating at 80% a clip last year and they're at like low fifties this year. Mm -hmm. For me, how much talent this offense has and how hard it is for them to find the end zone is perplexing to me. Yeah. And I, there was a part of me, you know, you know, Perry and I go on Twitch recap every game and, you know, we win or lose, which so far, you know, after week one, thankfully has been a lot of wins, but yeah, it is 55% efficiency in the red zone. And I think that's so weird. And, you know, there was a part of me that's been wondering if all of this is just like, not like it's taking a toll, but this team feels more like hardened than in seasons past, like last season up until obviously the NFC championship game, it felt like things were so easy. And they were winning and they were putting up so many points. But then their losses were always like really major kind of we weren't prepared. We got our butts handed to us. And now this season, it feels like everything's so much more contested. Like this team is winning close games. And I feel like that's something we didn't see from the floor the last couple of seasons. So I don't know if it's like the 2010 season it reminds me of where, you know, they were in every game and they just knew how to compete even when they were down because you know, the Bengals was a good example of that where there were opportunities for them to lose that game. And if you talk to them, they're like, absolutely not. We were never losing that game. Yeah. I think it's interesting to, I Matt LaFleur has said it multiple times in his pressers. Like they have an entire season of film of what they did in the red zone from last year. And they were the top team. They were number one offense, number one in the red zone. So I imagine every team they're playing against has gone back and watched the tape and looked at what Matt LaFleur has been doing. And I think so far he's been really good at taking formations and taking looks and drawing different plays off of them. But if the defense is ready for almost everything that he threw at them last season, they're going to just be, you know, less efficient. He's just going to have to start getting creative. And I was listening, I listened to a lot of like around the NFL podcasts and shows and I was listening to I don't remember who it was but they were saying that 
A, they, I think it was Mina Kimes, probably Mina Kimes, but she was saying that like Matt LaFleur's offense is actually the purest Shanahan offense that's out there in the league right now, which I found really interesting. But the second point is that half the league is trying to run a Shanahan offense. So when every team you're going up against is also trying to replicate what you're doing on offense, they're going to be prepared for what you're throwing at them when they're on defense too. I agree with that. I think one of the things, and I've said this, I said this all last year and I will continue to say it, that offense runs through Aaron Jones. So if you get him 15 or more touches per game, they are going to be successful. And I think I looked at it, every single loss they had last season, the man had less than 15 touches because obviously everyone is going to focus on Devontae Adams. But if you also have to worry about Aaron Jones, then you're and like, not only in the run game, that man can also go out in the backfield and catch a pass. Mm-hmm. So if you have to worry about that, then you're trying, then that totally screws up your scheme defensively because now you're like, God, oh, crap. I don't know. Or is he going to run it? Or are they going to throw it to him? Like, what am I going to do? And then Devontae's like, great. I'm down here by myself in a one-on-one throw me the ball. So I don't know what it is this year, but they also just feel like they haven't clicked or hit their stride offensively yet. I'm still like Devontae had a 200 yard game but only one touchdown. And I feel like if you have a 200 yard game, you should have had four. (laughs) And so I don't know, like offensively, it's been weird. I'm waiting for them to get AJ Dillon involved more. And I feel like this weekend is the perfect, perfect weekend to get him involved because of how good that front seven is. And that man is like a Mack truck coming down the field. Uh, So I'm going to, yeah, the offense is very interesting and intriguing. I'm not even going to touch the, the red zone defense I, like it's just it's a disaster waiting to happen i hope they figure it out they might not but they keep winning so as adrian amos said today he's like we're winning so like <laughs> could we fix something yeah but like we won the game and i was just like i don't know if that's the <laughs> mindset to have but like okay yeah, and I mean, the, the Bears defense could arguably be the best test for this Packers team so far. I know they had Nick Bosa, they went up against TJ Watt, but the Bears defense is third in red zone defense. They're like a 37% success rate when you go up against them. And, you know, I don't know if Elton Jenkins is going to be back. It sounds like Josh Myers is going to be healthy, but... Josh Myers looks like he's going to be healthy. He had full. He's had full participation the past two days. Jenkins has been limited, uh, the thing that I keep watching on the Bears is that Akeem Hicks and Khalil Mack have not practiced in the two days at all. And that would be the best, best scenario <laughs> for the Packers if those two don't play. Uh, and I don't I don't think I've ever seen teams allow someone to not practice two days in a row and then go limited on Friday and then be like, yeah, they're good to go on Sunday. Like, yeah. The season is too long to like if they've got a significant injury like that to to let them fly. So that's going to be very interesting. Like if those two don't play, it's almost I can't remember who didn't play in the Bears game for the defense when they were here at Lambeau. Someone on their defense didn't play and like it was totally it was in the inside. I can't remember who it was, but you could totally tell that like they didn't have that core defensive strength in the bulk of their defense. So if you have those two out, the only downside is they added Robert Quinn. It's like looking like he did when he played with the Rams. So it'll be, it'll be intriguing. I I think this game is going to be a slugfest. I would say, you know, Packers win by a field goal, but I don't even know if I can say that after last week. So I feel confident in Mason Crosby. I think when you make the game winner, I didn't didn't feel confident at all. (laughs) I mean, I think when you make the game winner at the end of it, you kind of like, I said this during our recap, we kind of like cut the yips off at the source there. Like, he made it, and like hopefully now, you know, it's just a sort of fluke situation game, and you just feel have to feel comfortable with him. I, he gets some like accident forgiveness in my mind as someone who's been so dominant at what he does for so long. Um, but it is true, like if the Bears are going to be that stout in their red zone defense, and the Packers are going to struggle, and the only points you're going to get potentially for or the your option to get ahead even if they don't score enough touchdowns is going to be field goals like we're gonna have we have to have high expectations for Mason Crosby this Sunday yeah it'll be interesting um because one of the things I was looking back at the film and you could see that like him talking to Bjorquez about how he's holding the ball and so I don't know and LaFleur said you know we have to be better about the whole execution of that so I don't know if like Bjorquez was holding it weird because he kept twisting his hands like 
the way that you're catching it and then holding it is not how I want it to be. And Rogers even said in his post game presser, he was like, we have to make sure we get laces out. And I was like, okay, is he not kicking laces out? Like, is that why he misses Mm -hmm. it? Like what? So I just think that, I mean, special teams as a whole for the Packers has been a struggle. It's been a struggle since I've been here and I've only been here a year. And I feel like everyone (laughs) talks about how it's been a struggle for much longer than that. So, uh, I don't know. I'll be intrigued. It was it was very shocking. I have also never seen a kicker celebrate a missed field goal. And that was both hilarious and awful <laughs> at the same time because then you saw him realize that he'd missed it. And I was just like, oh, you poor sweet soul. So flipping it then. I mean, so you you think it'll be a slugfest. I I got to get my thoughts together, I guess, before we do game predictions, because I don't know what I think it's going to be, but, you know, flipping then to the Packers on defense, Bears on offense. What are your thoughts there? Because we know they're without David Montgomery, who was kind of their offense. Mm-hmm. Just, Justin Fields looks okay, but his offensive line isn't doing him any favors and there's growing pains there. They also uh-huh. announced today that this, they're running, their backup running back is hurt. So it's really just going to be, I think, Khalil Herbert, who's a rookie, which again right. could be good or bad, right? Because you don't know what he's going to bring to the table, but also like rookie growing pains. And yeah. I mean, Nagy's looked bad this season, play calling. <laughs> just straight up there. There's no other way to say it. He's looked bad. But when you go up a very up against a very common opponent, that it that does give you a better idea of like how to attack them. Yeah, Nagy's offense doesn't make me confident that they can score more than 17 points. I mean, I'm just going to put it there. Uh, I mean, I don't think Justin Fields has attempted more than 20 passes in the last three games that he's like in each game. I think he's only attempted 20 passes, which is bizarre because that kid has an arm. So I don't know what scheme that man is running, but I don't know why you're not letting your top five pick throw it. But whatever. Um Joe Barry said today that uh, they could pull, they're going to put someone in at running back and he's going to turn into an NFL player because that's just the bears. Um, And so I think honestly, what you're going to see is I think Justin Fields is going to get sacked. I think Rashawn Gary and Preston Smith and Kiki Kingsley are going to eat him alive because Kenny Clark is going to push that pocket. And the only downside and worry that I have is that Justin Fields can run the heck out of a scramble play and Mm -hmm. that kid is mobile and Packers struggle with free form tackling. Uh, And so it'll be, and that secondary, like uh, this is also going to be another really big, really big week for Eric Stokes because you don't have, you're not going to have Kevin King. I like, I just, there's no way that there's no way he plays on Sunday. If he does, I know nothing about football. Um, I just I don't know how he plays. Jair's on IR. I mean, you brought in Quinton Dunbar, but I don't know how he's ready to to go by then. Russell Douglas again, whether or not he gets in there. Um, Jerry Gray is a wizard at getting DBs ready for games, but this is going to be a really big deal because you have you have good receivers for the Bears, and so Eric Stokes is going to have to have a really big game. Darnell Savage, Adrian Amos, and whoever else they end up putting on the other side of the field. I don't even, I mean, I guess Rasul Douglas. I don't know. I mean, I don't think they'd start. I don't, I don't even think Shamar Jean Charles has gotten in, he's gotten many snaps in a game yet. I think he's been, he's been an actor. He's been mostly nickel as well. I think like Isaac Yadam is their only other option. He got beat a bunch of time by Burrow last week. So that's also the other thing that's kind of uh, iffy. So, um, it's going to, I'm going to be very interested to see how Stokes has played. Stokes has had some pretty big pass breakups, but he's also had some pretty big rookie growing pains. Although I can't really fault him for the insane 70 yard catch that Jamar Chase makes. Like, yeah. I, I, I mean, that was savage anyway. He was on the other side yeah, of the field. Yeah, savage anyway. But I mean, there was an, like, I thought, I thought Stokes did a really good job uh, on, on Sunday for what it, for, for, for how, for what he was asked for. Um, have I think you have you seen Jalen Smith in practice? I have seen Jalen Smith in practice. I haven't seen him in full practice. I don't know if that dude's speed is where he was in 2019. If it is, that's phenomenal. If it's not, that's a problem. Um, all I saw is him doing like warm up drills and and whatnot. And I, I I need to see him in practice again. I'll see him in practice tomorrow. Uh, Lafleur said today that. 
they're still trying to figure out if he's up to speed as to whether or not he'll be active today. Um, but I don't know that you need him to be active, especially with the way that Devondre Campbell's been playing and the way that that inside, like the inside backer, which is what I thought was going to be the problem this year, is not the problem in any way, shape, or form. You know, the problem is that, you know, you lost Zadarius Smith and thankfully Rashawn Gary and, and Preston returned to how he looked in 2019. Um, so uh, I, I think it's going to be a slugfest. I just, oof, like the Packers offense, if they click well, they should blow them out, but they haven't. So it's like problematic. And then you don't have Jair to make all the interceptions or to not, or to like make Justin Fields not want to throw at him. So uh, I don't know. I just need like five sacks. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's interesting too. The the bears had kind of funneled their offense, even though Justin Fields, I mean, I think it's because he's a rookie was going through that run game. And now, you know, like Perry said, they've got their second string running back on the COVID reserve list. Mm-hmm. Um, they're dead last in passing lowest yards and fewest touchdowns. You know, yeah. and I know part of that is Justin Fields and it's not necessarily fair to him, but two touchdowns through five games. Like you hope that this, Packers defense isn't the defense that Justin Fields clicks against and he gets to light it up against, but the struggles at corner are definitely significant. Yeah. It's going to be, it's going to be something very much to watch. It's what Andy and Marcus and I talked about on green Bay nation yesterday is that the problems at, at corner are enough to worry you that this game is going to be tight. And the fact that the red zone efficiency for the offense hasn't been what it should is what makes you worry. It's like the Packers have a better offense, but the defense has such a big gaping hole in the secondary and the Packers offense can't seem to figure out how to score once it enters the gold zone that it feels like they'll let the bears hang around. Yeah. That's been a problem too in the past with like the defense not playing a complete game and like shutting other teams out. And something you said earlier that I wanted to touch on is that you said they haven't hit their stride yet, the Packers offense. And I think that's true, but I think first the Packers tend to click quite well against the bears. I was looking at some stats today about just how they've completely overpowered them in the Aaron Rodgers era. And I think that, as they play and not necessarily this week, because like we said, the bears defense is just so stout, but the bears defense has always been good, right? The Packers are always going in there and that we're saying offense is not great. The, the defense carries this team and they somehow still, you know, dropped 40 on them last year. So I think that if like the Packers can continue to build off the offense that they have and get a little, not even like significantly, but just a little bit better in the red zone, a little bit more efficient, like they can beat this bears team like, quite easily in my mind. Oh, I would agree with that 100%. If you look at everyone that they have on offense, like if Devontae gets three touchdowns and, and, you know, they get an interception and a couple sacks, like the bears won't be able to do anything. It's just, if you don't score early and your defense doesn't get a bunch of stops, then you allow them to hang in the game like the Bengals. And then it becomes the oddest regular season game that I've ever witnessed ever. Like an NFL record, five missed field goals in the last two minutes of a game. What? Yeah. And I mean, I think, yeah, and I like that this is the hard part too, I think, with this this Bears defense is that, you know, you need your offense to start clicking because coming up you have the Cardinals and the Chiefs and you have these high-powered offenses where if you aren't putting up points, like there's going to get to a point where you're going to lose games simply because you can't trade field goals for touchdowns. That was always kind of the mantra of the Packers defense. Like we'll give you three because we can go get seven and we always know that we can play from a lead. So I I don't think necessarily that it gets fixed this week, um, but I think, you know, that's kind of the key is once they get down into the red zone, figuring those things out because we see the explosives Adams and Jones both had one and then it stalls out. So Yeah, that's the biggest worry is you saw those two big plays. And so when they got down there, the automatic assumption is, okay, cool. He's just going to find someone to get in the end zone. And then it's almost as it's confusing as to why it's not happening. And Devontae and Rogers both said it this week is they said, we want to, we think we need to be more aggressive down there. Both of them. They were asked, Mm -hmm. why do you think you're not good in the, in the red zone? And both of them said, we need to be more aggressive. And I, you can't disagree with them because it almost Devonte said, it's not that it's too simple, but I feel like when you're 
make like when you're trying not to do too much, then you allow people to read you easier. And so he's, he doesn't want it to be more complicated or more creative. He just wants, I guess he wants, and I don't blame him. He wants more opportunities. So if that means you do more things disguised so that he can get open, then why wouldn't you do it? Yeah. Yeah. So. I think Matt LaFleur has to dig into that playbook a little bit more. Like don't call an AJ Dillon run on second down, down in the red zone. Like I know that he has some more creative things in there and they even said it. I think it was Rogers in that same clip said, you know, we just have to dive into the playbook and, and roll out what we have out there and show the league something that they haven't done yet that I know that they're practicing for. I think this is a good week for it. I think this is a good week for a big Randall Cop game. Yeah, I always love a Randall Cop game just for the nostalgia of it. Um, okay, so last question before we let you tell the listeners where they can find all of your work. Do you have a bold prediction for this season? Bold prediction for this season. Um, I think my bold prediction is that if the Packers win out uh, this game and the next, the game of the year is going to be at Arizona. Um which is bananas because I didn't think, and I say that a lot, I didn't think that the Cardinals versus the Packers would be the game that I would tell people to watch for, but it is because the Chiefs, I have no idea what's going on with them. Um, the Seahawks, now that Russell Wilson is you know, potentially out past that game and it's Geno Smith and their defense is in shambles, um, you know, the, looking at the schedule, those would have been the two games. And then obviously the Rams. But for me, that is the game that's going to set the tone for the rest of the season for the Packers. If they go on the road and they – and Arizona is still undefeated and uh, the Packers are 6-1, and one, that's the game that's going to set the tone as to whether or not they are really Super Bowl contenders because – then you'll have gotten through this weird October. You're about to look at a string of games that are really, really tough against really tough opponents. And are you going to be able to finish out the rest of your divisional games strong? So for me, my eye is all on how they handle the Arizona game. That's the game that I have my eye on. And that's the game that I think is going to be most important because they lose that. Then you have to go on the road to Kansas city. You're at home against Seattle, Minnesota, uh, Minnesota and then you've got the Rams like and none of those are easy so that's the game that's my prediction is that the game that's going to set the tone for the rest of the season is the Arizona game all right so what's your score prediction then for Sunday and who wins my score prediction for Sunday is 24 to 17 Packers Uh, I would, I don't, I just, I don't, it's the bears. It's in Chicago. The fans are back. It's, uh, you know, it's October. It it, it might be slightly fall ish. Like it's not going to be deathly cold. Um, like, like some games, but I just think that because of how good that defense is because of the offensive red zone struggles, I hope I'm wrong. And I hope that Rogers and Devante like ball out and like throw up 40 points, but I think 24 to 17, I think it's going to be enough of an anxiety game that Packers fans watching are going to be like, can you just put this game away? But that's, that's my prediction. Packers are going to win, but it's not going to be pretty. All right, Perry, what about you? Um, I think I have a little more faith in the offense. Um, and that's only because they haven't scored. They've, they've scored at least 25 points except for the saints game so far this season. And Uh, I think that they're starting to build confidence as they're building these wins slowly. And I think, honestly, some of these close games, like the Bengals games, give them that juice that they need to go into a game against a Bears defense and feel like we can win. So I think the Packers drop 30. Um, I think it's going to be like 30-14. Okay. I think I've been thinking about all different scores this whole time, but I'm going to go 31-21. But I think that the Bears will score in garbage time. I think mm-hmm. that the Packers will look pretty convincing and then they'll do some Justin Fields voodoo in the end zone. And then, you know, it'll look closer on paper than it will be, but good. I like that. I will predict an interception. Cause I've, we've predicted one correctly, except last week we predicted an interception. I just didn't get it right. It was Amos instead of Darnell Savage. Uh, but I do think Adrian Amos is going to have an interception back to the bears. 
stomping grounds. He finally said today for the first time since he's left that he didn't like how anything ended in Chicago. So, and he's like, he's just been coming on the past couple of years with just how well he's been as a leader of a defense. Adrian Amos gets in and gets in a, gets an interception. Love it. Well, this was a lot of fun. Thank you for coming on the show and talking football with us. Thanks for having me guys. I loved it. Um, before you head out, tell the listeners where they can find all of your work. Uh, so you can find me on Twitter. It's MK underscore Burgess. Um, I'm also on Instagram, MK Burgess TV underscore. Uh, I mostly am tweeting, uh, about everything Packers. Um, Instagram is kind of, here's the stadiums and, and funny anecdotes that I put in the jumbotron after the game of how it was, which like last week it was practice your field goals. Um, and so, uh, those are the main two things that I use. I don't use Facebook at all. Maybe that makes me old. I don't know. Um, but I'm, I'm not on that. And I only, I mean, I have a TikTok account, but I don't make any, I just sit there and giggle at them, but mostly. <laughs> awesome. Well, great. Thank you so much for joining us. This was Thanks, blessed. Guys. Thanks so much again to MK for coming on the show. Um, we love to highlight all of the women that are covering the Packers and love to see how many there are, to be honest. Um, warms my heart that our team um, has so many diverse voices that are covering on the beat. So as usual, Maggie and I are going to give our, our week six NFL predictions. Um, just like a quick thing about this Bears game. I don't know if I'm just super high on the way this Packers offense can deliver, but I just feel like the potential is, is still there to drop like a big game on the bears. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I mean, I, I go back and forth because I think we know like the potential of the offense and that's, what's tricky. Like if things click, this could very easily be like a 35, 14 game, but just, I think until we see it, that's what makes it so difficult is we say every week, like this could be the week and it very well could be, but a third ranked bears defense, I think is a tough test to finally get like your red zone together. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess we will see what happens. All three of us predicted the bears will lose. The Packers would win. So as long as that's the outcome, I think that is fine by me. Tonight, we record Thursday night. Tonight, in about two hours, we are going to get Bucks Eagles. Um, this is a really fun Thursday night game. I feel like normally Thursday night's kind of wonky, but who are you taking in this one? I want so desperately for the Eagles to pull an upset, and I believe that they can, but that said, I'm taking the Buccaneers. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. I think it would be awesome, but Tom Brady threw for 412 yards and five touchdowns last week, so going to go ahead and say the Bucks are going to win this one. Um, then we have the London game. I forgot that there was another London game. Dolphins-Jaguars. So sorry, London listeners, that you have to put up with this. Um, but I'm going to take the Dolphins. I, I keep predicting that they'll be close, and I think I've called them to win a couple times, but I just don't have any faith in the Jaguars under Urban Meyer. So I don't either, and I absolutely despise Urban Meyer at this point. I always thought it was a terrible hire, but I do know that there's actually a lot of Jaguars fans in London. They love playing over there, and I would really love to see Trevor Lawrence get his first win. So I actually am going to pick the Jaguars this week. All right. I mean, they've come close. They almost beat the Bengals. So Then we have Vikings-Panthers, where we learned today that Chris McCaffrey did not practice, so it looks like the Panthers are without him again. Yeah, I I really hate doing this. I think it'll be the Vikings. And I just, I hope this isn't the case, but I feel like the Panthers' wheels are falling off a little bit. And that would be sad for them because I thought they had a really good start to the season and it looked like they were building some momentum. Yeah, I think it's really, really tough to operate your offense without its best player for this yeah. long. Um, I think Sam Darnold's doing the best he can, but a lot of his, a lot of the holes in his game are starting to surface. But that being said, I think I'm still going to take the Panthers just because their defense has been so stout. And I don't know, this Vikings office has been so inconsistent. Yeah. Then we have a game that you and I talked about that we're sad that it's at 1 p.m. Sorry, noon. Central. <laughs> um, in Chargers-Ravens. 
Yeah, this is a really, really good one. Um, I think I'm going with the Ravens just because, you know, the Browns put up a hard-fought fight against the Chargers. That was a really close game. The Chargers, I think, are beat up a little bit. And the Ravens, after the high of coming back from that kind of almost loss to win in the fashion that they did, I think Lamar's unstoppable right now. I agree for all of those reasons. I think it'll still be a close game. It's be a high scoring game, but I think the Ravens do end up pulling out the win too. Then we have Rams Giants. Yeah, I'm taking the Rams here. Yeah, same. That's a no brainer. <laughs> I actually put money down on the Rams money line. Um, they just look so good with Stafford. Texans Colts. So this one's tough. I I think it's the Colts still, but the secondary is so depleted, and we saw that against the Ravens where. They maintained a lead, and then towards the end of the game, they had like their fourth, fifth, and sixth rings uh, defensive backs in there. So I think the Colts win, but I think it's a division game, and the Texans will give them a, a run for it. I agree with you. I think the Colts really need this one. I thought they actually played pretty well against the Ravens, and mm-hmm. Carson Wentz looked better than he has in a while. So I think they do end up pulling one out on the Texans as well. Another 1 o'clock, 12 p.m. game. We've got two more. Um, Chiefs, Washington. This, I think it's the Chiefs. And, you know, I'll take it because then Washington will have their heads hung low coming to Lambeau next week. But, yeah, I think I just – I know we keep saying the Chiefs are going to right the ship. Their defense is terrifyingly bad right now. But I think they'll right the ship at some point. I agree. I think this feels a little bit like a must-win for them if they're going to stay in lockstep with the rest of their division. So I think in these kinds of games, they usually end up pulling one out. Uh, We already picked the Packers to beat the Bears. And so the last early slot is Bengals-Lions. I'm going to take the Bengals. I've I've never thought that I would feel bad for Lions fans, and they've come close so many times. But I think the Bengals are not in desperation mode, but I think they feel like they probably should have beat the Packers. And they want to stay in lockstep with the Ravens and the Browns at the top of the AFC North. Yeah, I agree. I think the Bengals are a team on the rise. And I think if you are a team on the rise, you beat up bad teams. And unfortunately, um, next, I have a feeling I know who you're going to pick here, but I think this is going to be the most watched game of the weekend. Cardinals Browns. I have feelings that the Browns are going to pull off an upset because I think they've been really close. They almost beat the Chiefs. They almost beat the Chargers. They've looked very good, but they're also injured right now. There's a lot of their studs that aren't necessarily practicing. Um, that said, I'm a loyal wife, and I think the Browns have a good shot at an upset, so I'm taking the Browns at home. I'm also taking the Browns in this game. I think I think that their offense and their running backs in particular are going to give the Cardinals a hard time. I think it's going to be tough for the Cardinals to come in to that stadium and beat them away. Um, And I am also loyal to your husband (laughs) and would really love to see the Browns pull this off and have the Cardinals not be undefeated anymore. Agreed. Uh, Cowboys Patriots. I'm taking the Cowboys. I think that, you know, it's funny. I was going back and looking at our division predictions and we both had Washington like pretty convincingly. So I think the Cowboys are absolutely one of the surprises of the season and they look like a legitimate contender, not just like, you know, it's like, Oh, it's the NFC East. It doesn't matter. It matters. The Cowboys look good. So yeah, I'm with you. I think the Cowboys have an insane offense and their defense. I think what is happening is their defense is just playing so much better than anyone expected. Um, Teron Diggs is, has an interception every single game this season. So as much as I love Mac Jones, I just don't think the Patriots are quite there yet to, to play against teams like the Cowboys. Raiders, Broncos. Um, this one's tough because Gruden sucks. And like, sometimes there's like a rallying moment that happens. So like maybe the Raiders would come out swinging like because of that but I also think that those things can become distractions unfortunately for the guys that are there so I don't know division games are weird I think I think I'm going to take the Broncos just because I think that there's a lot going on with the Raiders this week see that's actually why I'm taking the Raiders because I think from a locker room perspective I, I can imagine like guys like Derek Carr and Darren Waller and 
you know, Max Crosby and those kinds of leaders on their team sort of getting them to where they need to be. And I feel like when an interim head coach comes in, the guys like really want to play for them. It's just like when Joe Philbin came in kind of situation. So um, I actually have the Raiders winning this one. And mostly just because the Broncos like aren't that good to me. (laughs) Um, So look at us disagreeing. Uh, The Sunday night game that I'm not going to be watching because I'm watching the series premiere of Succession, but Seahawks Steelers. I think, like, I thought Geno Smith actually looked pretty good when Russell Wilson got hurt last week, but, you know, MK said earlier in the show, their defense, something's going on with them. Um, So I'm I'm taking the Steelers. Okay. Um, I'm not going to disagree with you. I, I take the Steelers also. Last one, Monday night. Bills at Titans. Um, Originally going into the season, I thought this was going to be like a premier matchup that could be a preview of an AFC championship game, but I no longer feel that way um, because I think the Titans have a lot to prove still and the Bills beat up on, you know, the AFC favorites going into the season. So I think the Bills offense is just too good to stop right now. I agree. Totally on the Bills mafia bandwagon right now, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, so through five weeks, you have a two-game edge. You're 49-31, and I'm at 47-33. So I think we disagreed on just a couple. We'll see what that means, but we will. Looking pretty good. We're doing pretty good. Yeah, look at us. Uh, All right, thanks so much for listening. As always, please please be sure to follow MK on Twitter and, and follow all her work over covering the Packers. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at Perry underscore Goldstein and Maggie at Maggie J. Loney. Uh, follow the podcast at PWSS podcast on Twitter, packs, which she said on Twitch and Instagram. We will be back doing a recap show for the bears on Twitch on Monday. And you can also find us with the pack a day podcast crew. And I have been doing Packer report TV uh, preview or recap shows with Ross Uglum. So if you follow Packer Report or subscribe, you can watch those. Um, lots of stuff, lots of really fun stuff coming up. And uh, go Pack Go. Go Pack Go. And Jones out in front. They're trying to chase him down. He's inside the 10 and he is in for the touchdown. The title is back in town. 